This is our fourth message in verse 25 of Romans chapter 3. We are camping on the highest hill of the Bible, in my opinion. The most important, most lovely thing that God has ever penned to us. And that is that he has turned away his wrath from his people because of the blood of his son. It can't, be, it can't be explained enough for everlasting life. won't be enough for us to ponder and think and, and express to each other our joy that Jesus is our Savior and just what that means and what his blood meant, his gory blood, why that that would have to happen, what it means to us. And we saw last week of what the blood of Christ means to God. But now we have to look at faith. It was by faith in his blood that God made Christ be the propitiation. So in some ways, it has to be for us. It is for his people. And his people are the ones who repent to him and turn to him in faith. And so we really do have to look at this. From verse 21, where we started, through the end of chapter 5, This entire section of Romans, which is the most clear presentation of gospel in the Bible, in the world, is all about the fact that God is righteous. And this righteousness is given to the ones he expects it of. He expects us to be righteous, but there's not a one of us righteous, not even one of us. And so because of his love for us, he gave his son to be righteousness for us. And we are connected to that promise through faith. So we need to look at this. What is faith? What is not faith? What is, looks like faith but isn't? And what absolutely does God require? Because it's the most important thing. If God would turn away his wrath from us, Martin Luther said, if I could believe that that were true, I would stand on my head for joy. I just think that is amazing. One of the best quotes from Luther. He's just said, the thought that God could turn away his wrath from me. Just the thought would make me turn over in somersaults, in delight. And that is exactly what God has said has happened in this verse. Through faith in his blood. So I'm going to read from verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Be witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. 
Yay, we established the law. So we see that we see that in this chapter, just from 21 through the end of the of 31, he talks about faith and believing nine times in just these few verses. But yet this is the passage that talks about what Jesus did for us. All of this, this is where it is in the Bible. You want to know what Jesus did for you? This is where to look. The idea of the entire work of God in Christ being displayed as clearly as has ever been given to man. But yet in this passage, nine times, Paul is pointing us back to faith. So look with me at verse 21. God's righteousness is freely given to anybody that believes. To have faith in God is to have the righteousness that Jesus lived out flawlessly. Okay, That there is something given, but only to those who have faith. To the ones who believe him, who trust him, who trust in him, who have all their weight on him. God's righteousness is given. God's righteousness is required. And I'm very poor at being righteous. But God's righteousness in Christ is given to me through faith. Look at verse 25. This is where, we, where we've been in the last month. God turns away his wrath from everybody who trusts in Christ's blood. And remember, to trust in Christ's blood is to, Christ, to trust in who he is and all that he's done. His whole work for us is to trust that that is sufficient for God. You truly have to get to the point where you say a holy, holy, holy God is perfectly satisfied with only the blood of Christ standing for me. That I do not have to add anything to that. When, you, when that perfectly blows your mind and you, and you crawl out of, of whatever catastrophe of your life that that brings about and you realize that God is perfectly satisfied with you, it changes your life. You'll never be the same because that is the gospel. <clears throat> Look at 26. He declares righteous anybody who has faith in Jesus. We haven't gotten this far yet. He declares righteous, not just that there is righteousness put on them from Christ, but that they themselves are righteous. He justifies them. Verse 27. <clears throat> there is a law of faith that excludes boasting. There is a law of faith. We see that there is a law of Moses and there is a law of faith. Interesting. What does that mean? We'll look at it. Then I can't brag about it, that there's nothing that I get all huffy about because it means nothing to me. It was something given to me. It's the same as when you give your, your child a dollar to pay for something with. It's exactly the same. God gives it to us so that we don't have anything to brag about. Verse 28, people are justified or declared righteous by faith and not by trying to keep the law of Moses. To simply trust in Christ is the same as that person themselves never offended God and always pleased God. That's what verse 28 says. Verse 30, the circumcised, the ones that are Jews by birth, If they want to be made just or righteous, it's through faith that they must do it. And the uncircumcised, the ones who were never born Jews by birth, who never had claim to the promises that God made through Moses, 
is also uh, justified through faith, that that's how he gets to it, that that's the way that he gets to the promises, is by, through his faith, that the, ju- the circumcised is by faith and the uncircumcised is through faith. So we see in this passage, we're still in 25 now, that God presented Christ as the propitiation, but he made, he's made our propitiation through faith. Okay, And it's not just faith, but it's faith in his bloody death. That as we say, for whatever reason, that means more than anything else in the world. All I have is Christ, hallelujah. All I have is Christ, hallelujah. That I have him, that has more meaning in the universe than blind men can see. And that God would allow me to see it is the kindest mercy that could ever be given You keep the rest. You give me the mercy of being able to see that God turned away his wrath from me, and that's all I want. That's all I need. I'll go into eternity on that. That's all I want. You can swing out into, into your everlasting days with that. So the work of God through the death of Christ must be applied personally. That's why Paul mentioned this nine times. Because to have good news is only good news to those that it's good news to. And there will be multitudes of people that will never know God's rest, that will never know God's peace, will only know perpetual misery because they did not trust the gospel. They did not love God through the gospel. And my fear is that there are great, great numbers of people in American churches that do not even know what it means that they don't know what trusting is. They don't know what faith is. Because if they did, they would know the joy of salvation. And I don't see that. I don't see that among Christians. The joy of salvation is, is lacking. There might be a cerebral kind of a mental thing. There might be a hyper-emotional thing. But I don't see joy, which is different from, from, from flighty and different from moody and different from grouchy and different from so much that I see out of my eyes and even in my own heart. So do I know faith? Well, I have to say no. I know this much. So I come to church. Why do I come to church? Because I'm a good person? (laughs) No, you haven't met me yet. I'm not a good person. I come to church so that you can encourage me in my faith. That's why I come to church. I come to church so I can hear the scripture read orally in our country, out loud, not in a basement somewhere. I come to church so that I can have you stir me up to love and good works and faith. I want to tell you more of the beautiful deepness of what Jesus did in this world so that you will trust more. It's not an all or nothing. It's not a do or don't. It is a gradual for the rest of our eternity. We will be having more faith in God and more faith in God and more faith in God. Do not think that in that blink of an eye, when you are transferred into the kingdom of light, that you'll have it all. No, God loves you more than that. He will let you know for everlasting life that you ain't seen nothing yet. And that is why, that's why we meet together. That's why we meet together in love. We love each other too much to let us sit without the gospel. And the gospel requires faith. And that's what we're going to talk about. So I would ask myself, what is faith? Because I don't believe many people know. I went to Noah Webster 
I didn't go to Webster's Dictionary. I went eventually. I'll show you Webster's Dictionary in a minute. But I went to Noah Webster, who wrote the first American dictionary in 1828. And this is what he wrote for belief. This is his definition of belief, 1828. A persuasion of the truth or an assent of the mind to the truth of a declaration, proposition, or alleged fact on the grounds of evidence, distinct from personal knowledge, as in the belief of the gospel or the belief of a witness. So according to Noah Webster, there had to be a grounds of evidence, something that completely convinced you based upon something subjective that you could look at that's evidence that is completely rational, that then I would say, I hold to that because I see nothing in, wrong in that. That makes sense to me that I hold to that because of the evidence I saw. Okay? Now, let me tell you what Noah Webster's definition of faith was, just for funny. I included this just for fun because Noah Webster, was he a Christian? Was he not? Faith. The firm belief in God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. That was in the dictionary for 150 years. That is what kids would write their definition in the third grade. So, by the way, that's not what faith says now. Faith doesn't say that now in the Webster's Dictionary. wonder why. So we see here that according to Webster, there is some kind of a grounds of evidence that then does something to my mind and then from that mind does something to my will. And in the meantime, from my mind to my will, it does something to my emotions. It thrills me. It makes me convinced, totally sure, and then thrills me and then does something to me. That's what he says. So in some ways, faith is more like trust, okay? We have to say that in the English language, the English language has some little bit of inadequacies there. There's, there's words missing in the language. For instance, faith doesn't have a verb. You can't faith something, right? So there's some missing words in English that just a little bit puny that other languages are easier to do. So we would have to say, well, what about the word trust? Trust is a noun. I can have trust in something, but I can also trust in something. There's an, there's an action there. So faith is not just a something. It's something that comes from me that I do. All right? So, so it's a bigger idea than maybe we could, could see. So the first thing I would say is, what do I see as possible faiths? What is there that's a faith? Okay? So I gave you a quote of a kid that I wrote down uh, two or three weeks, I keep a, uh, a journal of funny things that the kids say or really embarrassing things the kids say or things that I'm just really uh, ashamed of that the kids say and I write them down. So this was uh, one of them. I believe I remember the answer, but I'm not sure. That was, that was one of my kids. I believe I remember the answer, but I'm not sure. Now, that's totally normal. Nobody would even blink. If you heard that, I believe I remember it, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Then you don't believe it. Does that make sense? That's an opinion. To have a belief as an opinion is not to have faith. That is not, I believe that, but I'm not sure. It doesn't work. When I go to the current Webster Dictionary, this is what the current Webster Dictionary says. Faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. 
Now that came from Noah Webster saying a firm belief in God's testimony and of a truth of the gospel which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. Now it says faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no truth. And I'm not even lying. The sentence that Webster gave as the, you know, they always give a sentence kind of showing what the definition is. This is the sentence. She was clinging to her faith. She was clinging to her faith that her missing son would one day return. Do you see that that's not faith? The clinging to her faith that her missing son would one day return is not faith. It's not on grounds of evidence. There's nothing there. She had hope against hope. She had wishful thinking. She had this desire. Faith is not desire. That's a different concept. You cannot define a word with something that's not the definition of that word. I'm sorry. I mean, nobody would hire me to, work, to write definitions for Webster's Dictionary, but... That is not faith. That will not take you out into eternity. It will. It will take you out into eternity. But it will not take you out into eternity as a saved soul. Okay? The second type of faith that I think is way more prevalent is historical faith. All right? This is the faith of I went to school and learned something about something, and I remember it. Okay? So, for instance, uh, tradition, whatever your traditions are, or your education, whatever you were taught, or public opinion, whatever people think at the time, okay? This can be something that I believe, all right? So, for instance, we, we are missionary Baptists. What's a missionary Baptist? A missionary Baptist is one who believes that you should go and share the gospel with your town, and even with the world. That's what an evangelical group is. So we have Bible school, and we haul people from everywhere, we send a bus and go and get people from the haulers and, and the, the highways, and we bring them in here, kids who don't know how to act and, and spill juice on the carpet, and, and we love it. And there's not one of us mad about it at the end. We're, we're happy to clean the mess up, okay? Well, are we being mean? There are people that would call this child abuse, that we're teaching them about a, a, a bunny rabbit in the sky, that, that Jesus loves them and died for them, and and it will be their final judge when there's no proof of that. Do you see? There's lots of people would say, you're teaching that child something that has nothing to do with reality. How dare you? But then I would say, yes, but the kids sit in, in and, and, and learn the minutia of evolution, which is a theory as a theory is. So when you say, I learned that there were nine planets, sorry, Brian, there's eight. And I'm like, no, there's nine. I'm sure there is. Okay. Because I believe there's nine planets. Well, that's not faith. Do you see? When I say I believe that that mankind came from the trees and or from the primordial slime, right? What is that a belief of? That was you. You were taught that, and so you accept it as what you were taught. Okay. How many religions are there in the world that teach that this is what this is and this is what this is and you're taught and that's what you believe? That is not faith. And you're, and you're like, ooh, wait, be, be careful. You're on the line here. That is faith. Could it be right and still not saving faith? Could I teach someone that Jesus died for their soul and that they're obliged forever to be righteous in God's sight? That's absolutely true. And could a child believe that because they were taught it? Yes, they absolutely could. Is it saving faith? See, there's your question. 
can I teach something true and it be actual that someone holds to, but it not be real faith, it not be theirs, that it was just something they learned because they went to Sunday school when they were five and it never affected their life all through their life. And then we go to, to the person in the hospital as they're gasping their last breath and we're comforted because they told me that when they were six, they went to Bible school. I'm not comforted. I'm sorry. I would love to be comforted. I would love to be comforted at some of my relatives who I would love to sit at their coffins and say, they're in a better place. And I don't know how many people that that's what every, that's what every funeral is. They're in a better place. I sat through the entire guitar solo of Highway to, what was it, Stairway to Heaven, 16-minute guitar solo at, a, at a, a funeral once. And that was all that they had to do because they were going to heaven and it took 16 minutes for them to get there because they were, the whole guitar solo played while we were sitting there awkwardly staring at the coffin. But no one showed them that they had ever trusted in Christ. There was, no, there was nothing there. There was no faith there. Do you see? So... You can have faith, even real faith, that's not yours. And if it's not yours, then God's wrath is not turned away from you. That's the scary thing. It must be applied personally to you. So then I went to uh, to Matthew 13, and this is scary too. This is what Matthew 13 says. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy received it, yet he hath no root in himself. But dureth a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, by and by he was offended. You see? Jesus said that the word of God can be planted on a life, and it spring up immediately and be accepted with joy. But, be, but it was never taken root. It never was his. It was something light. It was something emotional. It was something flashy. It was something joyous. For a very short time, and as soon as it got hot, as soon as persecution came, they were offended and went away. That's terrifying. There's whole groups of people who believe they can lose their salvation for that reason alone. Because they had it and they lost it. Do you see? But, but Jesus said it never took root. It wasn't theirs. It was something light and it was something emotional. It, their feelings had changed but their heart had never changed. Their life was not different. They didn't become more humble. They didn't. In fact, they become more pushy. I don't know. I know you know people like this. Very, very religious, and you don't trust them. Religious, 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 and you're just like, why do I not trust that? There's just something in me that just like, that I, it's aversion to it, okay? And then immediately they just, they just go. They don't last, right? Um, I, I'd rather not have the roller coaster life. I'd rather not have the high highs and the low lows. Give me Kansas, okay? I'm sorry that's boring, but I truly would rather just, just, just every day, God, I'm a sinner that needs you. God, I can't do this. You must help me. Do you know? And go all the way to the glory that way. God, just help me. And see yourself as lower all the time. See God as higher all the time. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who starts smelling like God. They start acting not in a false way, not in a pushy way, not in a, in a from-the-top-down way, 
but they simply remind you of what Jesus reminded you of. When Jesus dazzled you of what God was like, and you're like, are you serious? That's what God, God the maker, was like that? Humility marked him? And you're like, that's who God is? And then you look at me, and I'm not humble? I have to ask myself, have I trusted? If I'm not humble, have I really stuck my finger in the socket if I've never gotten shocked? I, I just have to ask that. Or is there power in that socket? You just have to, you have to, you have to ask yourself questions. And so the only other one there is is saving faith. There is a faith that saves you. And that faith is in you and it's rooted in you and it's implanted in your regeneration. Okay? So where does it come from? Remember, regeneration is new birth. Born again. Have you ever heard born again? It's regeneration. God did that. You're born from above. Not, from, not by the will of man, but God, God did something miraculous. And you weren't there, and all of a sudden you were there. You weren't, and now you were. You started being when you weren't before. And God birthed you. He begot you. That's, that's just tremendous. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing from the word of God. Okay? So faith is not religious things about a religious, not an Oprah kind of religion, okay, where you can say God, God, God all you want. But there's nothing there. There's nothing that God said. There's nothing that calls you to what God requires of you and that God says about himself. What happens is that a person, that's why I want to read scripture every single time. I, want it to be, I just want it to be heard and heard and heard. And I want every voice to say it. Why? Because it is by hearing that God, Holy Spirit, takes that. That is the key because that's eternal. When this world is gone, that will still be here. That will still be here. And those eternal words is what God is. It's God himself. It's God's life. It's God's person. It's, it is not a magic book. It's not hooky-pooky at all. It is alive, and it cuts like a two-edged sword all the way down to the marrow, and you can't stop it. You can't stop the sword just by pushing out your chest. You can't stop it. And that sword goes down, and it goes down deep, and it separates, and it will change your mind. It will do things you did not think it was going to do. And when you hear it, you hear it, and that's where faith comes from. Now, a sermon does have its place. I believe a sermon has its place because a sermon is simply a simple person who has spent hours and hours and hours digesting, breaking it apart, taking the wheat, chopping it down, grinding it into flour, baking it into cookies, and then passing out the cookies. That's what a sermon is. Something that you can get, something you can digest, but something that is absolutely just what the Bible says, not your own opinions about anything. we're, We're not listening to a lecture. This is, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? That is what you want to listen to. You only want it. You don't want anything else. And see, what that is, is that's hearing God's word made simple. That's all it is. And that's where faith is. So Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is the gift of God. So your salvation and the faith that puts you into the salvation, all is given. 
That's why there's no boasting. Remember this passage that says the law of faith so that no one can boast. There's no, where's boasting then? It's excluded. By what law of works? Nay, by law of faith. That's what that means. That idea that, that, you, that God gave it to you. So there's no boasting. So when I stare at God and saying, you're requiring faith and you gave me the faith and there's multitudes of people in this town that don't care anything at all about you, do you not make, does that not make you want to visit people? Do you see it? That doesn't make you cocky. That doesn't make you like the primitive Baptist who would never ever witness because they just expected that whoever's going to be saved is saved. No, when I look and say, that the, the house is burning around my ears and that God yanked me by the scruff of the neck and pulled me out of the fire with my feet on fire. I went camping once and my shoes had those rubber uh, soles. Both of my shoes ignited. My shoes were on fire at the, at the campfire and I had to like dance around to try to put my face. To gruff me and pull me burning out of a fire, that's what God did for me. And I look at these stupefied people on their hellbound race that we sang about, indifferent to the cost, not with no pain at all that they've offended God. That makes you want to evangelize. It does not make you want to pull back. Do you see it? You want to preach. You want to. Okay? So Burkhoff, who is one of my systematic theology books that just kind of, like, puts things into like little juicy bites that I like. He's from the 19th century. He defines saving faith certain conviction wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit as the truth to the gospel and a hearty reliance on the promises of God in Christ. Do you see it? Do you see the, the, the mind is engaged and emotions are engaged and the will is engaged, just like, just like uh, Webster said? So there is more than just certain knowledge. So just like that's why we preach, remember, is so that there's more and more rich knowledge. And I, the more knowledge you have, the more you trust. And there's more life. Okay, that's, that's why we meet, absolutely. But they're emotional. It must be, too. I need to know that Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance. I need to know that. It has to be me. Because I can speak of the truth of God. But if it's the truth of God for other people and I am not involved, you see, there's no... I don't have any power there. The power comes from your testimony, right? The saints oppose Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony. God did it for me. He saved my wretched soul. He didn't just come for others. He came for me. There has to be some emotional. It cannot all be emotional. And you can't trust in your emotions. You can't say, oh, well, have I repented enough? Or am I sorry enough for my sins? Or am I trying really hard? Oh, what a trap you'll get in if you play that game. Do not play that game. You don't have faith in your faith. Okay? You don't, you don't see your own eyeballs. You look out of your eyeballs to something else. Your faith looks at Christ. That's what your faith does. It doesn't look at yourself. When Peter looked at himself, he sunk. Do you see it? So you look away from yourself to Christ. But there is emotion to that. There is life, real life in that. And it can't be a false it has to be genuine. <clears throat> and I'm always, I'm tricked a lot. But I can usually spot someone who's a fraud. I can usually spot someone who's a fraud. Because it just doesn't ring true. Because it's your spirit that's in fellowship with other, it's your spirit that God is there 
That's what fellowship means. We are fellowship with each other because we have something in common, and that's God. (coughs) This is from the 1536 Heidelberg Catechism, one of the very first Protestant attempts to say, what is the gospel? And, oh, I love the Heidelberg. I love it. (coughs) I have a, a friend who named their daughter Heidi, and, yes, they named her Heidi because of the Heidelberg Catechism. The only person ever to be named after a catechism. True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for true all that God revealed to us by his word, but also a hearty trust which the Holy Ghost works in me by the gospel. Okay, do you see it? Not just my mind holding something is true, but it's the heart trusting something, emotionally trusting it, that not only to others but also to me, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation is freely given by God, merely of grace and only for the sake of Christ's merits. Do you see? To me. That's faith. Faith is to me. me. God came to me. He's calling me. He's requiring me to live. He's calling into my tomb and saying, Lazarus, come forth, and I respond. Me, not just the world. One day there will be that the Son of Man will come and the graves will open worldwide. The sea will give up its dead. But he, on one day, looked into one tomb and shouted one man's name. Why? Because that's what happens to me. He shouted to my tomb and he opened my eyes. You see it? Faith cannot be generic. It's yours. And if it's yours, it's saving. It's a saving faith. You, it's your hand grasping towards something your heart desires and your mind understands. You know that it's supposed to be good. Solomon said, it's like silver. Dig for it like silver. Well, you have to be convinced that it's valuable, and you have to be convinced that it's in front of you. Now take it, okay? Until I ask Melissa to marry me, I could have loved her with all my heart. I could have had emotional aspect. I could have understood she was awesome, awesome, awesome. But there, there needed to be something that made her mine. You have to do it with your hands. It has to be yours. Now, I... I have trouble with the sawdust trail of I remember once when I repented kind of thing because to me, a Christian is someone who's continuously repenting. Am I repenting right now? Do I love God right now? That's my evidence. That's my evidence of my salvation. Not as my name in a Bible somewhere. But there, there is something to be said for that there was a time that I moved, that I did something. That is what, um, it, do you know... Um, uh, Come thy found of every blessing. See God and you can't remember him and your life is in crazy. You can look back to that pinnacle and say, okay, God did that in my life. And so everybody has your Ebenezers. I can look back and see one Ebenezer after another. Okay? Do you see that is something that was an act of my will. Something that happened to me. Something that was mine. And I experienced God. Remember? Abraham and Moses named him. God, you're Jehovah Jireh, you're Jehovah Nissi. Everything was like, you're the name of this because you're, this is what I now know about you. I didn't know so much about you, and now I know more. So God's name just changed and changed and changed because now you're the God who sees me. You're the God who cares for me. You're the God who provides for me because you experience God. That's why that we don't go to heaven instantly. Faith is not by sight. It's by faith. We live by faith. Okay? So... I'm just going to go in this sermon. Now, in my next sermon, it's much going to be more of an exposition. I'm going to take three, I'm going to take three passages 
and basically just camped out in three passages of how the Bible shows faith as a phrase. What does it mean? Okay, We're going to look at coming to Jesus or receiving Jesus. That'll be one. We're going to look at thirsting and hungering after Jesus. That'll be two. And then we're also going to be the idea of looking unto Jesus. Because all three of them in their scriptures, all three of them refer to my personal faith. Okay? But I want to end with just how the Bible as a whole talks about faith. Okay? Kind of just to give us an introduction to this concept. So I first go to... Um, I first go to the whole Bible, and I wrote this. I wrote here in my notes, my attempt of summarizing the entire Bible in one sentence by Brian Barnett. I wrote, the righteous God secures a righteous bride for his righteous son through her faith and dependence on him of who he is and what he has done. So somehow my righteousness as a bride has to do with the fact that I have put my faith in Christ who is righteous. And it was righteous God who did it. And that's the entire Bible. That's the whole theme of the Bible. That God is rewarding Christ for being who he is. And giving him a bride. And by making us so love him that we would do anything for him. That is, he changed us. And from haters to lovers. And so we look through the Bible. And the first place I went is as Abraham. Abraham is that type of a believer. Okay? Uh, Romans 4, 3 says, and what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith was the same as he being right with God. Okay? And then later in Galatians, it says, and anybody who has faith like Abraham is a son of Abraham. You want to be a star in the sky when Abraham looked at the stars and said, your descendants are like the stars in the sky? Isn't it cool to look at the beautiful sky and say, I'm one of those stars? God saw that I was one of those stars, that I would have faith just like Abraham had faith. Not, not because I was Jewish, but because I had faith like Abraham had faith, and I was a son of Abraham. had many sons. Did you ever do that? Then the whole Old Testament, when it went to the law, you had a lot of trouble because there were Pharisees who thought they had to do things and their righteousness was in their doing things. Jesus said, you tithe 10% of all your mint leaves and your cumin leaves, but you're not nice to people, come on. Like you're missing the, the big idea. But there were saints who would look with the sacrifices and look with the law and go, I'm not meeting the law. I'm depending on God to be merciful to me. Do you see, there are always saints like that. Okay, Elijah thought he was the only one that served God and God was like, no, honey. I got people all over the place serving me. You're, it's not just you. It is you, but it's other people too. You just don't know about them. Because I'm bigger than you. Isn't that amazing? So all through the time of the law, it was like that. When you get to the Gospels, Jesus was continuously saying, I'm the object of your faith. It's me that you trust in. You have little faith. Do you think we're going to sink when I'm in the boat? It's me that you trust in. It's not, and I'm asleep? That's going to matter? Do you realize? It's just that idea that they were always, their mind was just blown because he was continuously saying, he's the object of faith. When Paul, in all of his letters, he's fighting against legalism, legalism, legalism. Okay? And so Paul was like, we live by faith, not by sight. He's continuously saying, faith justifies and saves because it lays hands on Jesus. It's holding Jesus. That's why that, that's why that faith is working in your life. 
when Peter gets to his letters, he's talking to sufferers. He's talking to people who are suffering, and he's like, there is a glorious future, and you hold to that, and you live today in the light of that day, and it'll get you through the hardest times. And there were hard times to get through. John always called his, his people little children, you little sweethearts, you little honey. He was like, it's simple. Faith is simple. A little kid can have faith. You simply hold on to Jesus' hand. He just taught it in the most like, like kindergarten way. Okay? He said eternal life is now. The new birth is now. You can live now in eternal life. You don't have to wait for heaven. You can live now because that's what faith is. When you get to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is guarding against despair. Don't despair. Your life is hard. Don't despair. Your life has got problems. People hate you, and you're not very nice either. And all those problems together should you make you just groan. No, you've got a Savior who loves you. Okay? It's Hebrews that has the definition of faith in chapter 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders had a good report. And then he goes through all the elders. One and one and one and one. And he said, by faith, Abel, by faith, Moses, by faith, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. The world's not worthy of them. Do you see? Hebrews is saying faith has action. When James gets to it, he was like, if you don't have faith expressing itself in works, it's dead. Because that's the only way that I can see your faith. God can see your heart, but I can't. All I can see is your life. And if you don't act like Jesus and you're not doing things like Jesus, I don't know that you're connected to him. If you don't have fruit, I don't know that you're connected to the vine. That's what James is saying. He's just like, I'm sorry, I'm just a dude. You, you, I, I need to look at you and be able to see that you look like your father. You have your father's eyes. And that's, that's something that we can expect of each other. That's hard. Hard. Then the book of Revelation, faith becomes sight. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray and be dismissed. Father, we love you. And to whatever uh, you would do in our hearts, we would thank you that you would make us love you more, that you would make us repent of our sins, that you would turn us from unbelief to belief, that you would let us see the evidence that is so clear and that we would trust that we're not irrational idiots, but we're totally rational men that you have made alive in Christ, that our hearts would thrive and thrill at at what you've done for us and that our wills would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Faith is yes, Lord. That's what faith is. It's response to what you are and what you've said and trust and dependence. And we as a people, with all of our frailties, pull ourselves up and have faith to whatever we believe. We ask that you would stretch our faith. We believe, Lord, help our own belief. We pray as a people. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.